Wait, what? So this happened. I'm Rachel Vallesnor, and this is the podcast Hell is Not the End, although it feels like just the beginning sometimes. Is anything really the end, though? This podcast is meant to explore the limitless possibilities of one's own soul. Why do people do bad things? Why are there countless happenings beyond understanding? Why, when we are cautioned not to do something, do we just do it anyway? The definition of curiosity, a strong desire to know or learn something. There you have it. I will curiously explore why. Hell is not the end. Rebecca Lucille Schaefer was born on November 6, 1967, to a Jewish family in Eugene, Oregon. Rebecca was the only child of Dana and Dr. Benson Schaefer. Dana, a writer and instructor at Portland Community College, and Benson, a child psychologist. Rebecca was raised in the Jewish religion in Portland, Oregon, where she attended Lincoln High School. Growing up, Rebecca had dreams of becoming a rabbi right until her junior year in high school. During her junior year, her interest took a different direction in the way of modeling. She started appearing in department store catalogs as well as some television commercials. Rebecca also appeared in an extra in a television film. In August 1984, her parents agreed to let her move by herself to New York City in hopes of furthering her modeling career. While working and living in New York City, Rebecca attends the professional children's school. She also acquires a short-term role on the daytime soap opera, Guiding Light. In late 1984, Rebecca lands the role of Annie Barnes on ABC's One Life to Live for a period of six months. At the same time attempting to create more prospects in her modeling career, Rebecca standing 5 feet and 7 inches tall was considered to be too short to be any type of fashion model and struggled to find any significant work. In 1985, Rebecca moves to Japan still hoping for a career in modeling and still being considered too short and also now her weight wasn't considered normal for Japanese model standards. Rebecca moves back to New York City in hopes of pursuing an acting career instead. In 1986, Rebecca gets a small role in Woody Allen's comedy, Radio Days. But most of her performance ultimately ends up on the cutting room floor, slash edited out. Her character is only seen for a brief moment in the final film. Rebecca continues what modeling career she can, and also works as a waitress at the same time. She soon appears on the cover of Seventeen magazine, which catches the attention of t television producers who were then casting for a new comedy called My Sister Sam. Rebecca was cast as the teenage sister Patty, who moves from Oregon to San Francisco to live with her older sister Sam, just after the death of their parents. At first, the show is a hit. However, halfway through the second season, the show is unexpectedly canceled due to lack of interest reflecting in their ratings. After My Sister Sam, Rebecca gets supporting roles in Scenes from Class Struggles in Beverly Hills and End of Innocence and the television movie Out of Time. She would also serve as a spokesperson for the children's charity Thursday's Child. Okay, so before I get into the horrible reason I wanted to share this story, I thought it was absolutely worth mentioning that Rebecca was an absolute up-and-coming talent. She had such promise and potential. It's always super sad to see someone so young taken before their time. On July 18, 1989, Rebecca is shot and killed at her West Hollywood home by a 19-year-old fan that had stalked her for three years at the time of her death. He was a serial stalker that had been obsessed with many famous figures in the spotlight. One was a child peace activist who had died in a plane crash. 
After writing several letters to Rebecca and her answering only one of them, her stalker decides to travel to Los Angeles to try and meet her on the set of My Sister Sam at Warner Brothers Studio. He would be turned away by security. Angry at being turned away, her stalker returns a month later with a knife and again stopped by security. He returns to his home in Arizona and leaves Rebecca alone for a short time. He shifts his obsessive attention to three pop stars. While back in Arizona, Rebecca Stalker watches her in scenes from the class struggles in Beverly Hills, appearing in bed with another actor. This scene will cause an irrational, jealous reaction, referring to her as another Hollywood whore. Rebecca Stalker again travels to Los Angeles after figuring out how another stalker had previously successfully stalked, harassed, and stabbed another actress after hiring a private investigator to find her home address. Rebecca Stalker in turn does the same. He hires a private detective to find her home address through the California Department of Motor Vehicles, and his brother helps him buy a gun. When Rebecca Stalker travels to Los Angeles for the third time, he stalks her neighborhood asking around if she lived exactly where she did. Once he figures out Rebecca's exact location, full of rage, he rings her doorbell. Rebecca, expecting a script of The Godfather Part 3 being delivered, answers the doorbell. Rebecca Stalker presents her with a letter she had written to him with her autograph. After a brief conversation, Rebecca tells him that he shouldn't ever visit her again. He leaves only to return an hour later. He rings the doorbell, she reluctantly answers, and she is greeted with a gunshot to the chest. Rebecca is shot in the chest at point-blank range from her stalker of three years. She is rushed to Cedars-Sinai Medical Center, where she is pronounced dead 30 minutes after arriving. Rebecca's murderer is arrested the next day after he is spotted running through traffic on Interstate 10 in Arizona. He confesses to the murder right away. The lead prosecutor is Marcia Clark, who would in a few years be the spotlight during the O.J. Simpson trial. He is convicted of capital murder in a trial by judge and is sentenced to the life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. As a result of this horrible crime, the California Department of Motor Vehicles will change its privacy laws. It's not until 1994 a law preventing the release of private information and addresses is passed. In 1990, after Rebecca's murder, it prompts the passage of the first anti-stalking laws. Enter the Conspiracy Corner. some that corruption runs downhill in the Golden State. The DMV waiting until 1994 to change privacy laws and not divulge personal information to perfect strangers? When does the protection of a city's people take priority? What does it take to get some people making the rules to display accountability? My hope is that no one has to live in fear, ever. As always, I will never give up and read the signs.
Special thanks to all the reading materials I could get my hands on, internet mostly. Thanks to wikipedia.org. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Rachel Vallesnor, and this is the podcast, Hell is Not the End. <laughs>